A reading from the book of Romans. So every single one of you who judge others is without any excuse. You condemn yourself when you judge another person because the one who is judging is doing the same things. We know that God's judgment agrees with the truth and his judgment is against those who do these kinds of things. If you judge those who do these kinds of things while you do the same things yourself, think about this. Do you believe that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you have contempt for the riches of God's generosity, tolerance, and patience? Don't you realize that God's kindness is supposed to lead you to change your heart and life? This is the word of the Lord. So one of my favorite things to do is to um, comment on or have a conversation with someone who's not in the room. So with all respect to Brody, who's downstairs, uh, <laughs> this is part of the hazing for our internship program. Uh, he, he mentioned last week how uh, these fruits of the Spirit is a, is a strange concept. It's both ethereal and earthly, and, and how it's hard to imagine how those two things might meet. And with all due respect, there is an actual fruit named patience uh, that I think does this. And, and it's, it, I think we have a slide with what that fruit looks like, this tropical fruit. And, and get this, you can't make this stuff up. It grows in Espirito Santa Brazil, in Holy Spirit Brazil, patience, macrothumia, actually, grows. You can't make this stuff up. So <laughs> Bertie did an amazing job speaking about patience, which seems like such an exotic fruit. It's short on supply, high on demand, hard to grow, a little fickle. But now we come to kindness. Kindness feels a little weaker, a little more common. Kindness is kind of like green grapes or something, right? Depending on your context, being called kind can actually almost sound like a slur to be rejected. It can sometimes feel like the paper plate superlative that you get in kindergarten when the kindergarten teacher doesn't really know you, doesn't have all those good superlatives like most likely to succeed or, you know, uh, my kid's like most likely to be a teacher uh, is a really coveted one. That's kind of the bless her heart of compliments, like he has a, quote, kind face, even if meant well is not really a compliment. It's kind of, I don't take you seriously. You're neither a threat nor a star. You're firmly in the friend zone. You're so kind. But kindness is not a JV, not a junior varsity fruit of the spirit. Paul doesn't let on that there's any sort of hierarchy or ranking for these things. I think it's more helpful to look at Eugene Peterson and the message translates this Galatians list and takes out most of the Christian uh, virtue vocab and refreshes it with these descriptions of the spirit-enriched life of a garden variety abundance. Says, this is what happens when we live God's way. God brings gifts into our lives much the same way fruit appears in an orchard. 
things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that the basic, that basic holiness pervades things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. So today, we'll explore that, quote, sense of compassion in the heart from a very particular angle, as Nan just read in Romans 2, it talks quite a bit about kindness, but perhaps even more so about what inhibits or prevents God's kindness, namely judgment. So we're going to kind of define kindness by its component parts. You see, judgment is a threat to kindness precisely because it puts distance between kind of us and them. That's what judgment does. It makes plaintiffs and defendants out of the world. To judge is also to become the jury and the executioner, maybe just in our own minds. And kindness resists this sort of judgment setup. It's darn near impossible for humans to judge with the heart of God. So we're not supposed to do things that God alone can and should do. Kindness, um, Paul reminds us this kindness is, is God's to hold and that God's judgment is always concerned with the truth. God's judgment always has the whole picture in view knows the beginning and knows the end and knows the intent and knows the impact of our actions and our thoughts to grow in kindness is to grow in our ability to suspend our judgment and to offer over judgment to God. The one who can judge without being mean, without being insecure, without being incomplete in the way God sees the world. This sort of non Judgmental kindness is made up of more than its parts. In, in Romans 2, it talks about the, how judgment rejects God's generosity. Some of your Bibles may have translated that word generosity as kindness <laughs> uh, because that word is almost the same and it's definitely related, but it, it, it's related in a way that implies superabundance. It's a, a kindness that doesn't run out. It's, it's grace upon grace, this word. That's one part of kindness. There's also tolerance. And this is a mercy that holds up. It's durable. It doesn't fold. It doesn't finish. To be tolerant is to be able to love someone and show them kindness. And, it, and this, is, this is like required at the ground level to be kind. And, and also patience, what Brody talked about last week. Patience is this long suffering. In the heart of God, there is a patience, a willingness, and a cultivated ability to hold on even if it means that it hurts. So these things work together and combine in the heart of God and they result in a kindness that is eternal and unlimited. Kindness, at least God's, isn't 
cute. It's not ornamental. It's transformative. It changes the relational terms, not through coercion or scarcity or intolerance or impatience, but through a rugged commitment to the truth. We remember that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It opens up an ability for us to tell the truth, to live in the truth, and to bear the truth about ourselves, even if sometimes that truth is ugly. Flannery O'Connor has this quote about the truth that I love so much. She says, the truth doesn't change in our ability to stomach it, right? And, and I think because God's kindness is related to the truth, we might also say that kindness doesn't change, God's kindness doesn't change according to our ability to recognize it or receive it. God is just kind. You, you may have heard the expression, kill them with kindness. That, that's kind of that's weird to weaponize kindness, right? But I think God's kindness might, if it does actually kill us, it also has the power to raise from the dead. That, that's how transformative, that's how, how life-giving this kindness is. To be kind to yourself, you may have heard that expression, is, I think, in this paradigm, not to smooth over or filter out the ways that we often fail or wound or fall short. But it is, it is to, to have clear eyes, brave, clear eyes, into a world in which God loves so much that God gave kindly his son, even to us. This is a, a mean old world, and when God gave his son, the world didn't, receive Jesus, but God's kindness is so fundamental to who God is, the w his willingness to be kind isn't linked to the reception or the reaction. It wasn't for Adam and Eve. It wasn't for Israel. It wasn't in the first century. It's not in the 21st century. So if you're going to get in the kindness game, if you're going to become a farmer of kindness, growing kindness as a fruit of the Spirit, be prepared to be met with a whole lot of unkindness because that's how God offers kindness. Later in the Roman letter, Paul even instructs, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good or kindness. Kindness isn't easily defeated kindness overcomes. Kindness transforms, even when we're offering kindness to enemies. In fact, maybe God-styled kindness is the best, is best suited for enemies. There's enough of this kindness, even for enemies, even for us. And any kindness that we are able to offer or muster, maybe on our good days, maybe on our not-so-good days, any kindness we can maybe pull out of nowhere or pull out of these reserves comes from God's kindness. Any kindness that we witness that is offered to us, even by people who uh, seemingly aren't drawing from this fount of God, is a witness to and somehow mysteriously from God's kindness as well. Kindness comes from God. Because God doesn't 
handle us roughly. God doesn't scowl or scold. God doesn't lash out the way many of our parents did. All this restraint on his part is not because God has a diluted view of sinfulness. He knows our sinfulness more deeply than we do. Indeed, we're just aware of the iceberg of our depravity. Even our most searching moments of self-knowledge, God's restraint simply flows from God's tender heart for God's people. That is a kind God. In our Friday video, Gary and Nan talked about our uh, Wednesday morning prayer. And if Meg always uh, talks about godly play lessons, every godly play lesson is her favorite thing. And don't make her choose, like choosing your favorite child or something. Um, probably one of my uh, <laughs> one of my vices is to talk about the very first thing we did as a church was have a party and plant a garden and actually also um, pray on the front steps. So, so we have all these very first things that we did, right? But we've been out there every Wednesday um, for more than seven years. And just in praying a simple liturgy, many of you have joined us. I, I, if you're interested or intrigued, please come and join us, 7.30. I'm preaching the announcements. Um, but in that, in that time of just being there, just showing up, we've experienced and offered so much kindness, some of this kindness has come when it's really cold outside because we're out there when it's cold and offering a cup of coffee to a passerby going to the bus stop. Small act of kindness. Some of that kindness has happened in praying for a hurting world. Like, oh, like by being on the steps, we are opening ourselves up to life in the neighborhood Sometimes we have to pause because that life in the neighborhood is so stinking loud, especially the city buses and the school buses. But by opening ourselves up and by praying with our eyes open, sometimes we are seeing the world, the world that God sees and the world that God loves and offers kindness to. And sometimes that kindness uh, comes when someone makes their way, a stranger makes their way to God to the steps and is falling apart before us and just wants a word of God's kindness offered onto them. And we can only offer it because we've first received. So it's a, a beautiful thing. All of these small acts of kindness, they're really small and ordinary. They, they grow our witness and our ability to respond and to improvise in the kindness of God. And they're all predicated just on the, the simple discipline of showing up again and again. If you want a, a practical takeaway from this message, the practical takeaway is just show up in those small places where you can experience God's kindness and offer it to someone else. That is how you will grow in your spiritual life. But of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't understand that God's kindness has always shown up before us. If we're showing up for God's ki for our kindness, it's because God has shown up before us in kindness. From the creation of the world to waking up every day in a world we didn't make and can't control, God has shown up for and before us in kindness. And in Christ Jesus, God has decisively and cosmically shown up with us in kindness. Jesus 
became one of our kind. He became our kin. This is what's happening in passages like Philippians 2 that, that, God, that God emptied God's self and became a human being in the form of a slave, in the form of one of us. And, uh, theologian Janet Saskis mentions that in Middle English, the words kind and kin are connected. They're actually the same. To say that Christ is our kind Lord is not to say that Christ is tender and gentle, although that may be implied, but it is to say that Jesus is our kin. He's our kind. This fact and not emotional disposition is the rock of our salvation, that Jesus has become one of our kind. So if we're asking ourselves, and, and I think we often do, or maybe we should, ask ourselves, what kind of person am I? What kind of person am I becoming? And, and often you get into the components and the practices of your life that are making you uh, uh, maybe more of the kind of person you are or making you a different kind of person. Maybe you're asking, what kind of person do I always gravitate towards? Or what kind of person am I around mostly in my life? Hopefully the answer to each of these, and increasingly so, is a Jesus kind of person. Or at least someone who finds themselves near to Jesus. Our response in kind is, in, is to encounter and to interact with this like Jesus cross-current that we embrace and that we remember that we've been grafted in and made part of God's family. That we relate to God as beloved daughters and sons. That we're made and that we're remade into God's image, God's family likeness as God's kin. That we're raised in a household of God with Jesus as our brother. Have you ever heard that language in the Bible of Jesus, our, our true elder brother. That's wild stuff. We, we call Jesus Lord, but, and that's so true. That has to be true, but Jesus is also our brother. Hebrews 2 says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are in the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them, to call us brothers and sisters. It also means that we have to look out into the world and view others as brothers and sisters. You may have heard C.S. Lewis's phrase that, that because of, of what God has done in this world, you've never encountered a mere mortal. I think we can adapt that a little and say, whenever you meet a stranger on the street, you've never encountered someone who isn't a brother or sister. Albeit maybe an estranged one, but everyone you meet is kin. When we think of these family dynamics and often messy and complicated ones and family dynamics in the family of God are messy and complicated. I, I can't help but think about the, the story from Luke 15 and the end of that little trio of stories about lost things, the coin um, and the sheep and the, the sun. And this was painted by, famously by Rembrandt, this picture of the prodigal. And in this story and in this beautiful painting, 
we see these three main characters. We see the, f the embracing father in that story, the, the father who, in an undignified way for his time and place, hiked his robe up and ran to his son. We see the son in this painting. He's, he's got ragged, beat-up shoes. In fact, he's only got one shoe on uh, because he's come back from the far country. And we see the older brother dressed the same as the father because he never left. And, and we encounter in that story, and, and when you enter into it, ask these questions and, and try on these shoes. And, and, and we see two brothers in this family both needing forgiveness. Henry Nowen has talked about this, and uh, I would definitely commend that, that uh, small little book about the return of the prodigal. And, and Nowen comments that both of these brothers need to come home, and the, that might even be more difficult for the one who's never physically left. The hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the one who stayed home. And so in the story, we might wonder where kindness occurs, and actually, kindness happens right in the middle, right in the middle of this mess, right in the middle of the estrangement and the hurt feelings and the righteous indignation and the need for grace. So if you are coming from a, a really messy family dynamic, know that kindness is possible, even when it feels scarce, even when it feels hard. Kindness can happen in the, in the middle of even the, messed, the most messed up kin dynamic. And it's possible because Jesus' spirit makes it possible for kindness to grow even in us, even in our neighborhoods, because, because Jesus has become our kind, because Jesus has become one of every kind. Jesus has become and has come from oneness with the heart-sick Father who embraces. We, we read John's Gospel, and over and over we hear, I and the Father are one. Jesus has become the kind of the older brother, the one who has, knows what it's like to be in the household of God and never wants to leave. And Jesus has even become one of our kind, the kind of, uh, of the, the, the lost brother who has gone to the far country. Jesus, the one who was baptized with sinners and who went into the wilderness to be tempted in every way that we have been and yet was without sin. So right in that triangle, right there in that messy, weird triangle, Jesus is there and Jesus is our kind. Whichever kind we are in whichever situation we find ourselves, we can experience and offer this sort of heavy, real, transformative kindness of God in Christ. This is the kind of fruit that our lives can grow. I think of of Amy Peterson um, has written on kindness and has done so on several of the virtues, trying to reclaim and reconfigure them for our time. And she talks about kindness as seeing the image of God and everyone, outsiders and insiders, and learning to love our kin in ways that don't oppress others. Kindness sometimes means breaking boundaries of bloodlines to become family and being willing to have porous borders. I think of one of my mentors talks about if your life is a Lego, always having a couple empty pegs to add people to your Lego. Uh, that's what it means to live life with porous borders. Kindness may require the redistribution of wealth as part of justice, 
To have this sort of kindness requires real strength. Kindness might lead to some pretty radical things in our lives. This is no paper plate milk toast kindness. This sort of kindness doesn't grow on trees overnight, but has to be cultivated, and the Spirit will cultivate and will grow it. We prepare the soil of our lives to be this kind of kind, this deep, thick kind of kindness. And we do that when we return over and over again to the kindness of God that calls us to repentance. The kindness of God that calls us to change our hearts and minds, to to come back into God's household. Our repentance, because of God's kindness, brings about a homecoming. A homecoming. And that homecoming allows us to set aside judging and grabbing and grasping and preciousness and open up ourselves to the wild uncertainty and the massive potential for joy that is found in God's abundant generosity. It opens us up so that we can put away our intolerance and our judging of others under rubrics that we wouldn't hold up against anyways. To reset our clocks to God's time which means there's always time. We don't have to rush or pressure or, or, or press. But we can live lives of engaged patience. We can trust in the slow work of God that yields good fruit. It's out of this soil that our lives might grow, might be fruitful in the kindness of God. Will you all pray with me? Lord, we cannot exhaust the harvest of your kindness. We thank you that it's predicated on your knowledge and your truth and your empathy. You know what it's like uh, to be in this world. You know what it's like to struggle. Um, And you know what it's like to overcome. Uh, Lord, meet us wherever we are, um, so that we can join you in, uh, in walking, in walking, um, through this life, in growing in our ability to be kindness, to, to be kind, to be generous, to be tolerant, to be patient. Uh, We thank you for all these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.